start. Well, I've already started. This is like we're live, man. We're live, we're- so we're a minute early. So if if you're if you're watching, thank you for being on time. Yeah, the- <laughs> yeah. This, this is, is a bonus, bonus feature. <laughs> a bonus minute. <laughs> a bonus minute. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. For all you guys who joined 30 seconds earlier, uh, Craig's going to lift up his shirt for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm checking out. (laughs) I'm checking out till 10 o'clock. Oh, wow. Already? (laughs) There we go. I kid. All right. Oh, look at that. I see ourselves live over here to my left. We're we're on the interweb, boys. Here we go. I don't believe it. See, Jonathan Howell already piped in. Bonus. He wants Craig to lift up his shirt. That's my dude. Hey, Jonathan. Jonathan, you see this? It's for you, buddy. Oh, wow. Let me see that. I didn't see that. Oh, there you go. Nice. Jonathan's podcast, Minute Impossible. All right. Well, I'm glad we're done plugging Jonathan's shows. (laughs) Yeah. So are you guys ready to to, to run down uh, Get Carter? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We took a vote, right? Hang on, I gotta prepare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me guess. Uh, get Carter. Quick, uh, hot take on Get Carter. Terrible goatee, terrible suit. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Next movie. Ugh. All right, guys. Well, how excited are we to talk about Copland today? Very. I got to tell you, and not to get ahead of myself here, and as my dog tries to chew the microphone cable, you know, watching this back again after quite a few years, oh, man. I got so amped for what we're about to do. How long has it been since you've seen this? God, probably a good like 10 years. Wow. It's been a while. I haven't seen this in a little while. It felt familiar. Like I wasn't really surprised by anything when I was watching. Right. Right. Okay. Same here. I Did any of you see in the theater on its original release? Yeah. I went and saw this in the theater. Yeah, me too. I did as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, look at that, guys. Look at that. We we helped the box office, and the box <laughs> the box office was forty five million dollars domestically, which uh, in today's dollars would have been about uh, sixty five million dollars domestic. But what it cost to make? It had to cost like like four bucks to make. Yeah, it's not a very flashy movie. There's, I mean, there's no CGI. Very simple stunts. It's basically a play. Yeah, very cheap. And I know Stallone, and I know I don't know about the other actors, but it didn't Stallone take just SAG wages on this i think so and i've talked about this on slycast before and you know knowing the weinsteins are involved in this movie and we're sort of involved in what happened to sly directly after this there's got to be more to this story because this was really a point in sly's career where he had the opportunity to pivot and go back towards more of the acting side of things and the less physical you know action star role which was appropriate for a guy that was age that he was man if those wine scenes didn't sabotage him i mean i love where his career has gone since this it hit some rough patches but i'd love to be in the alternate universe where we see some of the other movies that sly made as a quote-unquote actor yeah craig to, to speak to what you're saying there and maybe i'm going even ahead of the review in a weird way but this movie is a frustrating movie hot take i know it's a frustrating movie, not because of what it is or how good it is, but in a weird way because of how good it is. This movie does remind us of his acting prowess. This movie came out 21 years after Rocky. Is that right? 97. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Okay, and then this movie was 21 years ago today, like now. Isn't that weird? Enough time has passed between Rocky 1 and Copland and Copland and now. That's depressing. This this is where I'm depressed because just like what you're saying, we've had 21 years between Copland and 2018. Where is our other Copland besides Creed? Where is it? Well, this was supposed to be yeah. his artistic breakthrough, right? This was going to be Stallone getting out of that action, the limelight that he unfortunately um, forged for himself, right? This was going to be his rebirth. And I don't know why, but the reviews on this and Stallone's performance were just destroyed for some reason. Why? I thought he was it, great in this. I, I think it was his reputation, I think, was what was being reviewed as opposed to his true ability as an actor. And, you know, one thing that the internet has sort of brought about is I don't want to say geek reviewers, but geek reviewers. And I got to say that I, I bet you around this time, like a Roger Ebert probably dug this movie and probably wrote a fair review. And next De Niro, Stallone and Keitel and a police department's dirty little secret in Copland. Sylvester Stallone there looking very much like a cop who's eaten more than a few dozen donuts in his lifetime stars in the exciting new movie Copland as the sheriff of a most unusual New Jersey town, a town where a lot of New York City police officers live more luxuriously than they should be able to afford. That brings Robert De Niro to Stallone's office. He's an investigator for the Internal Affairs Corruption Division. The kingpin of the town is a well-connected veteran officer played by Harvey Keitel, another outstanding cast member of Copland. And there are plenty of different levels of conflict among these highly strung characters, old debts, illicit affairs. I've consciously stayed away from talking about some of the major plot devices of Copland because this screenplay by director James Mangold is one to be savored. He obviously attracted major talent with it, and it's easy to see why. This is a film that has a great sense of reality to it. There's been a lot of publicity about Sylvester Sloan getting off his macho high horse in his career and returning to play now a distinctive character. He's fine in the film, but so is everyone else. Save for a too neat ending, I think Copland is one of the better films of the year. Oh, I was disappointed in it, Gene, and that's wow. especially true because James Mangold did such a great first film when he made Heavy yeah. a year and a half ago. Now, this film, to me, has too many characters, too many backstories, wow. too many threads that it's trying to tie together and doesn't really tie them together. This is enough material for two movies. There should have been a clear line from beginning to end, somebody to absolutely well. follow, a more clarity in the storytelling, and the Stallone character is very much on on one note until he comes into his own as an action hero again at the end of the movie. The ending is not worthy of the character's no. definition throughout the picture, but Roger, I mean, if I would say I'd like to see more of it, mm -hmm. a longer picture, which might have solved your problem, but that's because there's so much richness in it. Didn't you like the whole concept of the picture of that this is yes this but town? i kept thinking how it might have been handled by somebody like scorsese who would have really zeroed in instead That's of a very high of, bar to put I any know, director well, against but it's I the might, highest bar i might as well because the fact is here we have all of this these lumps of story background that are thrown in and the stolen files and the old newspaper well, clippings and all of the lugubrious uh, plot I didn't development. think those were lugubrious i thought that with that stuff the stuff you just named i thought was exciting i do recommend exciting the yes but you've got a lot of a lot of reviewers that are just too cool for the room. And a lot of times it's just easier to dismiss somebody than to give them credit for a performance. It's funny that, you know, the same year this came out, Boogie Nights came out in 97, right? And you had Marky effing Mark turn in a great performance. 
that for whatever reason people were able to accept, it amazes me that critics were able to look past Marky Mark from the Funky Bunch, but couldn't tune in with what Stallone was doing. I actually read Roger Deeper's review. He gave it two out of four stars. Wow, that's surprising. Terrible. Yeah. It's unfair. So watching this movie and doing the timeline in my head between Rocky One, Copland, Copland, and now Creed Two, we don't have another Copland. And that's <clears throat> frustrating. So we know that Stallone has this in his tool or, or in his wheelhouse, in his tool belt, whatever metaphor you want to use. Yeah. And why doesn't he do this more? He's worth five hundred million dollars according to Networth.com, whatever. So give or take, he's worth anywhere between four and five hundred million dollars. Why isn't he doing the passion projects that he talks about, the Ed- Edgar Allan Poe movies, or just whatever? I know he's just built a Balboa Studios. I, I don't know quite all about that. Maybe that's what he's doing now. Maybe he's finally realizing at seventy-two, he's probably should start doing this, some of these passion projects. Twenty-one years, man. Like, doesn't he have a million or two dollars? To throw down, so you know what? I'm going to do an independent film. I'm going to fund it myself. I want to get. I want to be hungry again. Work with some hungry directors, hungry editors, and let's just do something. I, I don't know. Before I answer that, I will say that we didn't get another Copland, but we did get an Ants and a Spy Kids 3D game over. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I guess we're, I, I guess we're going to review those at some point. <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like in 2005, uh, Balboa came out in 2005, right? No, 2008 or 2006. 2006. Okay. So I kind of feel like uh, Sly had another opportunity to do this in 2006 and then 2008 when Rambo came out. Uh, He just never seems to follow through on his opportunities. Look at at what he did after Creed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We all talked how this, the Oscar nomination sort of re-energized his career and legitimized him as an actor again and all the opportunities he had in front of him. And then he went and did what escape plan Two. He went back to what he was known for what he was. I don't even want to say what he was best at because he killed it in Copland. Mm-hmm. Something went down with the wine scenes in Miramax because unless my memory's faulty, he had a multi film deal with them. And then after Copland performed the way it did, they kind of just, I don't know if they didn't follow through on the deal with Sly or they cut him loose or what. They had made a commitment to him, and then this movie performed the way it did. And shortly thereafter, Sly was straight to video. Mm -hmm. There's got to be more to the story here. And with what's come out about Harvey Weinstein (laughs) since this movie, and also if you look at how the guy sort of did business, uh, it doesn't surprise me that he might have partially sabotaged Sly's career. And I've heard some rumors or some thoughts on that Weinstein might have blacklisted Stallone to some degree. And but you know what? Maybe we'll save that for another uh, another discussion because I don't know enough of, to talk to that. But let's talk about the movie. So maybe people want to hear our thoughts on the actual movie itself, Copland. I guess that that was just my thought on how frustrating this is because when I watched this like 24 hours ago, it just reminded me of how much Stallone has in his tank. And I felt as a fan for 21 years later, I'm like, oh, why don't we get a Scarpa? Why don't we get some Mafia movies? Why didn't we get him playing a bad guy? Why didn't we get him doing why, 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 why? We'll never know, but let's review Rock, uh, Rocky. Okay. So let's, re- let's review Copland. We should tell our listeners, Doug, what do you do for profession and where, where do you live? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a police officer from New Jersey. <laughs> That's awesome. Does any of this ring true? Any of this? No, movie? no, 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 no. Locations, yes. Some of the stuff, um, 
sort of familiar with, but Racism? most of it. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Just joking. <laughs> it's it's almost all fictional and would never happen. Hey, hey, Doug. Um, how many years too old is Harvey Keitel to do what he's doing in that movie? He's like a uniformed cop in that movie, right? Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> definitely too old to be a uniformed cop. I, I mean, that's see, we're, we're jumping to the end of the movie here, but you know, or towards the you know the last third of the movie, but when he shows up at that building uh, uh-huh. with the rooftop fight, and you see him in standard movie cop uniform, you're like, really? Mm-hmm. Isn't this guy like about to collect a retirement check? Yeah, he should be either detective, if not a detective, and he's still on patrol. He should be a lieutenant or a captain at his advanced stage. Definitely not on the beat. What rank was he? Did you catch it? Uh, you know, I did not. I did not. That's okay. Do you want to break down scenes or do you want to go and order the movie or do you just want to talk about things like we just did there? Like talk about certain scenes that stuck out yeah. to you. The cast what? itself is huge. Let's talk about yeah. that. I think the main yeah. thing is it's funny how it, it kind of starts like a Scorsese movie mm-hmm. and it ends like a Scorsese movie. What's your take on the sort of bookended Robert De Niro voiceover? Because a lot of times in movie, that's a, that's, that's a, yeah, that's a tool that's used throughout the movie. And here it's really used at the beginning and the end. And I'm curious to see what you guys think. But last night I was trying to justify it from a writing standpoint. And I thought maybe that was something from one of his files, Robert De Niro's files that, you know, was sort of being read to us. Maybe to give De Niro more screen time. He doesn't have a lot of screen time. He's kind of like almost like Jack Nicholson amount of time from A Few Good Men. He's yeah. a big big name, but he's not the name in the movie. If you think about it, the ending narration really cuts about 20 minutes out of what have been an extended ending of this movie. The opening kind of sets up Copland, if you will. And I'm not sure if there's any other exposition you can do to sort of establish what he establishes in that opening voiceover. But I guess it's important to know what that town is. I would like to go over really quickly and poke some holes in it, if I may. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so what Robert De Niro's voiceover is essentially saying that back in the seventies, the New York police department officers wanted out of the city, but only transit cops could live outside of New York because they're also run by New Jersey and Connecticut, which is partly true. They don't call it transit cops. Here we have a uh, New York and New Jersey Port Authority Police Department, which they do the bridges and tunnels. They run both New York and New Jersey, the train stations. They work both sides of the of the border and they can live inside or outside New Jersey or New York. They're not called transit cops. And I don't think Connecticut is included in that. But what they say is that these um, New York York Police Department, which is just their pubs in the subway, so the city could declare them auxiliary transit cops, which I don't believe exists, even if they were in, uh, declared like a part-time transit or Port Authority police. You can't be a part-time Port Authority police officer, but if you were, you're still bound to within the limits of New York. If you work a New York City police officer, you have to live within the confines of New York City or one of the surrounding counties. Oh, wow. (laughs) You know your job, Doug. You know your job. That's good. In in fairness, in 1997, how many New York teams played sports in New Jersey? (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah, You know, yes. Everybody claims to be the New York Jets, New York Giants, but they, in fact, play in New Jersey. Yes. Right across the river. Pops give it a jump. Like, it truly is. 
Well, so, there's also no Garrison, New Jersey. That is a fictional town. That's right. Correct. That's right. Did they film this in like, was it Weehawken? Or I'm, I was trying to figure out geographically where that was, Doug. It was filmed in Fort Lee and Edgewater. Okay. Directly under the bridge, under the GWB scenes are Fort Lee. Okay. Is, that's right where the George Washington Bridge lets on. It wasn't the, the garment factory of uh, what? The garment capital of the world? Fort Lee? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there that sign when you drive through Fort Lee to go into uh, Manhattan? The only thing I know about Fort Lee is Chris Christie and Bridgegate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is, is the bridge? That part of New Jersey, yes. The bridge, it wasn't, I don't think it was the George Washington Bridge, but it was close enough. Edgewater is the parts of town that's right on the river. That's Edgewater, New Jersey. Both of these shots in New York City are of the Bronx. It's not even Manhattan. And we're led to believe that these guys work in Manhattan, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start the movie off. Let's start, start it off. off. Robert De Niro has said, hey, a bunch of cops have put together a housing cooperation outside of where they are cops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the mortgage is better. The rent is better. Basically, it's like a cop strata. Mm-hmm. That cop strata community is, is uh, then policed by... Uh, Sheriff Heflin, and that's played by Sylvester Stallone. Also, uh, if I may, sheriffs do not patrol municipalities in New Jersey. Sheriffs <laughs> sheriffs are county police officers. They run the courts and county agencies. Oh, my goodness. Well, did you guys notice the first shot of Sylvester Stallone? They had a pan down show his gut you know he's going for quarters in his hands and of course the camera slowly pans down to show his huge 40 pound <laughs> gut that was the, the funniest thing about watching this movie after so long you remember that stallone put on weight for this movie and when they panned out i'm like i'd love to have that <laughs> <laughs> I know. and that's what i was thinking too why couldn't they just put a pillow is it me or did he look like frank stallone in this movie Maybe it was Frank Stallone. <laughs> Dude, he looks, I was going to say, he looks older in this movie than he does today in real life. He, he looks okay. a lot like Frank Stallone has looked in the past 10 years. <laughs> well, yeah, he's 50. So he's 51 in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm not too sure what age he's supposed to be in the movie because they talk about he's been a sheriff for 10 years and he wasn't able to become a New York City police officer because of his hearing. Mm-hmm. Did he try for 25 years? <laughs> I don't the math doesn't add up. He's definitely in his 40s, like when he gets the job, which is you can't trust anybody's age in this movie, right? Because obviously Harvey Keitel wasn't playing his real age, you know, and they never really established how old anybody is. So yeah, he could have been playing 10 years younger, Stallone. I don't know. He that that's a rough <laughs> that's a rough go. Yeah, I, he looked 51. Let's be honest. He looked a good 48, 49, 51. Like, he, he's not pulling up 41 here. Mm-hmm. You know what I loved about this opening scene is you get right to it with Stallone, and you start seeing him doing, you know, that nonverbal acting that my uh, Slycast mm-hmm. co-host uh, Jeff Hewlett loves so much. But you also see the cop that he can be where he's watching um, Figgis, the lady from The Sopranos. Yeah, Edie Falco. Um he, he's observing them and you see the bag exchange and you can tell that uh, that Freddie's sort of processing it as a cop, even though he knows ultimately there's really nothing he can do with what's going on in front of him. 
Yeah, it's just establishing that though he seems to be a little bit out of shape, a little bit dopey, he's got that bad hearing, and as a first-time viewer, you don't know why. He goes, huh, what? What did you say? We're not too sure. Is he, like, dumb? I found the first hour of this movie was Rocky (laughs) 1. It was the first hour of Rocky 1. I mean, like, think of Rocky 1 for a second here. He goes around trying to help people out. Nobody wants his help. Nobody takes him seriously. Crosses up his nose. He's got a broken nose. He's <laughs> if Rocky never became a boxer, he would have become Sheriff Heflin. <laughs> it was like it was a million to one shot to become a New York City police officer. <laughs> Having covered Rocky for so long and watching this movie again after covering Rocky for so long in my other podcasts, I was like, my goodness, he's re- it's fine, but he's channeling that acting again. So it just remind me of that subtle acting that he brought to Rocky One. Let me expose my poor research that I do for these episodes. Yeah, we've noticed. Um, <laughs> this was written and directed by James Mangold. Yes. Who a lot of people probably know from his work at Logan. He made the Wolverine movie. He's kind of a big budget guy now, but this was sort of his early, what, maybe his first film. I don't even know. There Again, there's poor second. research. But I almost yeah. wonder if he wrote this with Stallone in mind. I don't think so, because I think Stallone wanted the Robert De Niro part at first. It was, hang on, Ray Liotta wanted the role of uh, Freddie Heflin, and Sylvester wanted the role of Gary Figgis. Oh, of Ray oh. Liotta's character. That's what it was. Yes. Okay. So can you imagine if Stallone <laughs> played Ray Figgis? I can't imagine anybody but Ray Liotta playing Ray Figgis. Oh, my God. He plays that part so perfectly. It's 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 weird. It took me a long time to get on board with Ray Liotta, and it I never liked the guy for some reason. And I mean, even though I loved Goodfellas and, uh, but there was always something about him. I don't know if it's his eyes um, or what, but it wasn't until I saw the movie Narc that I really sort of understood and accepted Ray Liotta. So watching Copland back with a, an appreciation of what Ray Liotta or who Ray Liotta is, he damn near steals this movie. He almost, you know, he James Woods this movie. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> Ray Liotta's the James Woods of this film. And in fact, that brings me to the next point. Stallone does a great job in this film. It reminds us again of what he has in his wheelhouse, what he has in his tank to give as an actor, give him the right role, take out all the flash and everything else. He can, he can bring a good performance. Robert De Niro has done some crappy movies in his life. All these actors have, and Stallone has too, but for whatever reason, Robert De Niro and Ray Liotta have gone back to those kind of movies more frequently than Stallone has. So that being said though, the first time I saw this film in 97, the first thought I had was, is my goodness, this is a great movie, but it's great because everybody's great. And in a weird way, Stallone is great, but it's almost like, but so was De Niro. So was Leota. So was Robert Patrick. So is uh, Annabelle Scoria. All these actors and uh, uh, Peter Berg, they're all good. Everyone is coming to this movie really wanting to act. So even Janine Garofalo. Yes. <laughs> and the best friend from Tr- the Truman show. Yes. Oh, <laughs> no, Emmerich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably the most unfortunate actor in Hollywood. <laughs> He just—he always shows up. He's like, hey, remember me? I watched this movie with my 20-year-old son. He said, oh, isn't that the guy from Back to the Future? <laughs> he thought it was Biff. Oh, my God. <laughs> In The Specialist, we saw lots of worst of the movie performances, but it, there's not even a questionable performance in this movie. They're all no. good to great. Right. I mean, there's not even a bit player in this movie that you know you look at sideways. 
it's a well-acted movie. So we, we talked about De Niro. We're going to get to some of his scenes later. We'll start at the beginning. We've, we've already been introduced to like Edie Falco as a little bit of a role. She's the bomb girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Liotta uh, looking absolutely uh, horrendous. <laughs> this whole movie, he just looks like... I think he, I think he heard that Stallone was putting on 40 pounds. So he's like... <laughs> <laughs> so he stayed up for 40 days. <laughs> I think I think he was doing drugs the whole movie. I'm not right. sure. That last day of freedom he ha- he has in uh, in Goodfellas that he definitely tapped into that for the entire movie. He he definitely has that. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> if uh, Stallone got Ray, Ray Liotta's part. Remember, remember in that scene when Ray Liotta's character goes to Harvey Keitel's character and says, "Don't shut me out, Ray." Don't shut me out, Ray. You found us a sweet little town, you got us a low interest, and I'm grateful. But don't forget who it was that you came to two years ago to cover your ass. Get him out of here, Freddy. It's not my fault that you can't look at him. You sit in this chair with your back to him. You want it to go away, but I'm still here. In for a penny, in for a pound. Don't shut me out, Ray. Imagine that was Sloan. Yeah, yo, 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 don't shut me out, Ray. Don't shut me out. It is what it been like. Ray Liotta, the way he talks, the way he's able to do those things, it, it's amazing. Okay, so let's go to the back to the beginning again. Uh, we see this exchange happen between Edie Falco and Ray Liotta's character at the table. Some money, I guess, money is transferred over, and mm-hmm. we find out later that money was used to. It was the whatever blew up his house. It was bomb making material. That's right. She's bomb girl. She's giving. That's right. She's giving she's it to Ray. Girl. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Heflin notices that, and he's what pissed. pinball machine is he playing? Did yeah. either one you lethal catch that? weapon? Yes, lethal weapon. <laughs> Part three. <laughs> lethal weapon three. Yeah, <laughs> lethal weapon three. You're right. Ray's playing lethal weapon three. He goes out to get more quarters from the parking meter. He's stumbling drunk, and Ray's like, "You okay to drive home there, uh, Freddie?" And like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Again, uh, I'll ask this question to you. And you don't have to rat your guys out there, Doug, but how many drunk driving cops do you have in New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> All of them. No. I know. Ryan, I thought you were going to ask us if we were uh, pinball people or video game people. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I am a pinball people. I'm definitely pinball people. Me, you know, me too. I think if it came down to having a games room, you know, if I had that kind of money where I could build a room with arcade games. The pinball machine, there's something really cool about the pinball machine. Uh, yeah, I love the sounds and everything about it. Absolutely. We're a bunch of pinball guys. That's great. What Figus does here is he puts Freddy in the driver's seat of a patrol car. Yeah. Drunk. <laughs> and says, no, no. have in, a good night. In all fairness to, to Figus, Freddy did say he was okay to drive. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, always, we always believe that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You live in Las Vegas, Craig. You should know better. <laughs> well, how perceptive do you think Figus was? You're the sheriff in a town where there are no sheriffs because they're only county officers. You're the head cheese in a town where it's just all cops. It's all cops. So wh- who are you going to worry about? Now, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right, but I understand. How many black people are in this cop land? <laughs> Why does it always go back there for you? <laughs> I'm just curious. I just I watched this movie and I noticed there's a deleted scene you can find on YouTube. Did you watch it? No, I didn't. 
there's a reason why there's no black people in this cop land. It's th- yeah, there's a deleted scene that had this had this made the movie. I'm glad it didn't. Okay, the cops are all playing baseball. The, a car drives by playing loud, <laughs> as Polly would say, <laughs> jungle junk music. <laughs> Dr- oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> so they all throw down their bats, get into their cars, and chase after <laughs> this car for playing loud music, and it's rap music. They corner these guys in some cul-de-sac, get them out of their cars, and uh, Robert Patrick's character plants drugs into one of the black guy's pockets. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, why am I not surprised? Sheriff Heflin's there, and he's like, oh, come on, guys, maybe we should. They just push him by the way. He's like, get out of here. We got this. And all the cops just start harassing these black guys, and that's like the end of the deleted scene. When this movie came out, you guys remember the age where you could get bootleg VHS tapes? Yep. We had a connection. I don't and I don't remember where it is, and, and I'm glad because I can't incriminate anyone, but we had a great bootleg network where we were getting like work prints and rough cuts of movies. I had a for the longest time, and it probably didn't make the move to Vegas with me. I had a, a VHS copy of like an early pre-theatrical release print of Copland that had a lot of deleted scenes in it. I don't remember if it's the same as what has since been released as I believe there's a director's cut. There is. Yeah. Yeah. It must be. Yeah. The the version I watched was two hours long. Wow. Okay. So the the one I watched was about an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, wow. (laughs) But it sounds like you might've watched the director's cut, Doug. I must've, I can't pinpoint it right now, but there was a couple of scenes that I was thinking that I don't remember when I originally saw it. All right, so you want to go back and watch the theatrical cut? We'll wait for you. Yeah, so yeah. let's uh, everyone. We'll just take everybody. a two-hour. We'll <laughs> take a two-hour break. We'll just uh, stand by. Hour and forty-five minutes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we got a couple things in the chat here. We just got uh, Jonathan Howell. He's mad at us for saying that Ray Liotta was like James Woods. He's still mad about the James Woods from so a previous mad. episode. Still- <laughs> it, it's a thing now. James Woods is going to work his way into every episode. <laughs> got it. <laughs> uh, Matt B there, one of our faithful listeners, Bebo, he said uh, the De Niro was sporting the Ron Jeremy mustache. He definitely has a 70s thing going on with the hairdo and everything. And that he's so sweaty. Jonathan goes on to say he's sweaty. He's like half a Tony Clifton. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) He he also points out that there's a lot of Raging Bull here in Copland with De Niro, Frank Vincent, and Kathy Moriarty. The same actors? Actors, yeah, that was both of Raging Bull and this, but there's also a lot of uh, Sopranos crossover too. There oh, was yeah. Sopra- there was Sopranos guy, like the uh, the picture that Robert De Niro shows Heflin says, "Hey, you know, you know, he's mixing up with mafia guys." And it's like they didn't Toy have Toy any acting parts. Yeah, they were like guys from the uh, Sopranos, and there was a background cop that was from the Sopranos too, uh, uh, who yeah. played the priest, I think, in the Sopranos. It's weird, yeah. So I guess New Jersey really did cast a lot of people from that area because that th- this was filmed in Jersey. So I guess some of these actors that are from the area were like locals. This is a perfect spot for this. A lot of the main cast came from New Jersey and New York. Makes so sense. Sylvester Stallone, New York. Harvey Keitel, Brooklyn. Ray Liotta, Newark, New Jersey. Robert De Niro, New York. Peter Berg, New York. Janine Garofalo, New, New Jersey. Michael Rappaport, New York City. Noah Emmerich, New York City. Kathy Moriarty. The Bronx, John Spencer. I think he plays uh, Leo, the detective Leo, New York City. Frank Vincent, who's the PBA representative, yeah. uh, Jer- Jersey City, New Jersey. Malik also Yoba. Billy Bats in, in Goodfellas. Billy Bats, yep. <laughs> Malik Yoba, who's the IA detective Carson. 
uh, yes. I was born in New York City. Arthur Nascarella, who's Frankie, uh, one of the cops, Suffolk, New York, who is also a real NYPD officer. Edie Falco is from New York City. Victor Williams, who uh, he was one of the cops that was interviewed. He's also in the King of Queens, Bronx, New York. Tony Sirico, who plays Toy Torillo in a picture from Brooklyn. So there you go. That's awesome. They shop locally. That's the way to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. So definitely. Michael Rappaport, that's an interesting person in real life. We're actually one of the big parts of this movie. Thoughts on him as an actor? He plays the same character in every movie he plays, but I love Michael Rappaport. Yeah. When you want that type, he's the guy to go to, but yeah. he's pretty much the guy from True Romance that I think we all probably saw him for the first time in that movie. Guy from Higher Learning. The neo-Nazi, he's, he plays the same part. The whiny, woe is me guy that just came into the wrong crowd. So he's actually a huge Stallone fan in real life. Is he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did a Twitter rant about when Stallone lost Best Supporting Actor for Creed. He went on Twitter. I think he did a live reaction to the loss, and he was just literally upset. Rightfully so. He was upset about Stallone's loss, and he went on quite a tirade about that. Okay. Well, I think uh, Michael is probably watching this show. So, hey, Michael, uh, we really appreciate your support. Yeah. and we did, You did a great job there. Getting back to the sort of writing of this movie and how well put together it is. And, and I kind of criticized the book ending narration. That is kind of a, a storytelling shortcut, if you will. But I think the story they tell with, with Murray here, uh, Michael Rappaport, Superboy. Definitely. I mean, you don't ex- specifically get his backstory but you hear enough to realize sort of where he's coming from and what his name means. And I think it's, it's a really good example of that show don't tell mentality when it comes to movie making. Okay, that's good. Doug? <laughs> <laughs> Can't expand on that. <laughs> well said. We just got some comments here that Matt B said here that, yeah, we just talked about that where he said to watch Rapporteur or react to Sly losing the Oscar. Oh, uh, Manbat, that's uh, Ar- Ar- yeah, Armando. Armando. Yeah, Armando, yeah. thank you. He said that Rapporteur will always be the Nazi from higher learning for him. So there you go. As I, I said, yeah. One of the favorite scenes in the movie was when De Niro was talking about De Niro's when he keeps saying the way he delivered his lines, his cadence in this film was really good. And one of the, we all know the one coming up, we'll get, we'll get to later, but. Uh, when he tells everyone to shut up, you shut up. Oh, I thought you were going to say when he told everybody to go to lunch. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> go to lunch. <laughs> go to lunch. Case is closed. Finish. Over. Go to lunch. I, uh... Go to lunch. Go. Hey, go to lunch. Go to lunch. The case is closed. Everybody get the f*** out of here. <laughs> I could have watched a five-minute version of that scene. Him just r- ripping stuff off the walls, knocking stuff off desks, telling people to go to lunch. It's an A-plus rant. I I love it. Go to lunch. <laughs> so that, that is really like sort of a perfect example of what Robert De Niro does as an actor. If you were putting together a demo reel of what he does, that would definitely be one of the scenes. De Niro was great in this. It's almost frustrating how good he was because he steals every scene he's in. And I think he steals more than Stallone. Now, this is a Stallone movie, and he is, again, showing us audience. And that's the big that's the big talking point. The reason why we're talking about this film is that Stallone's doing something he hasn't done since almost Rocky 1. He showcased a little bit of it in the Rocky film, sure. Mm-hmm. Even his quiet presence in First Blood was shown. But what movie between Rocky and Copland did he have a Copland performance? Rhinestone. 
Yes. God help us. Did Craig just reveal our next our next <laughs> review movie? <laughs> I would say that this is like the showcase Sylvester Stallone movie. This is his range right here. If you watch Rocky, but you've never seen <laughs> the specialist, over the top, Judge Dredd, Demolition Man, and you watch this, you're like, yes, that's Sylvester Stallone. He was muddied by all that mid-80s action stuff shit that kind of ruined him it, not that it ruined him because i love it for what it is right but the critics man they pigeonholed him and that's all he was worth to them so when he tries to go back and do something that's worth anything they're like oh well, here's stallone here's the big action star trying to do something artsy and they kill him for it i'm a big fan i'm going to mention metallica right Metallica's a band that everyone knows and kind of can relate to whether you like them or not you know what they sound like you know who they are now, if Metallica did a banjo album, you know, to showcase mm-hmm. that they can pick on a banjo just as well as they can strum on a guitar, which they probably can, their fans are going to be like, what are you doing? We want another Metallica album. For better or for worse, Salone, and maybe that's why. <laughs> oh, the dog. <laughs> Don't you bark at me? And my wife barks at me already. Artistry, no matter what it is, whether you're acting, music playing, painting, a novel writer, you have your wheelhouse and your fans were drawn to that wheelhouse. Even when a singer does a solo album, right? The solo album, he might be expressing or she might be expressing something different than the band to get that out of their system. But they kind of go mm-hmm. back to what they know. And let's be honest, what audiences love and what they love about Stallone, and we, we all do, we all go back to it, is the action and the fun. But I guess yeah. in 21 years, he could have probably spared some sort of independent project, I wonder. Yeah, I've believed more and more in the sort of idea that as soon as you're a success, you're sort of ruined as an artist. Because, you know, success is a double-edged sword, right? Gives you the exposure and the fame and the fortune as an actor that you, or as a musician, or wherever you excel in an art. But at the same time, it sort of creates a box for you. It would be like if Pauly Shore put out a book of poetry. It could be the best book of poetry ever, but it's not going to get looked at seriously because he's Pauly Shore. Right. We're, we're trying to find the joke in his poems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. That would have mattered. That's, that's I mean, success saying. really is the worst thing that can probably happen to an artist, but kind of necessary to continue being an artist. It's the ultimate catch 22, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't know success if it hit me in the face with these podcasts. I, <laughs> I was just going to say, we don't have to worry about it on this show. <laughs> we'll never have to worry about uh, changing our tune. I will say one thing, though, that we all sort of already expressed what a great De Niro performance this is. The fact that there are two quality scenes between De Niro and Stallone in this movie, and at no point do you feel like Stallone is deficient. Really good actors elevate you. And at the same time, you know, to be able to act with Robert De Niro, from what I understand, Robert De Niro really respects other people's time where he's done off camera stuff that they normally say, oh, the stand in will say your lines, you know, just so we can get the reverse shot. I kind of feel like those scenes with Stallone and De Niro really showcase the best of both of those guys and really what De Niro can bring to a scene and also what he can bring out of an actor. And then also what Stallone brought to that scene. I think those are really worthwhile scenes. They're scenes you can watch repeatedly. You've seen De Niro play that guy before, but you've never seen Stallone play the guy he's playing. Yeah. So I agree that they are great scenes like with him, De Niro and Stallone, 
you're kind of paying more attention to Stallone, even though he's more soft spoken and he's. Go to lunch. Know, I, uh... <laughs> Sorry, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I need to step out of your. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, 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 I, I was but it's kind of hard not to focus on Stallone in the scenes. Like you said, it's 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 kind of a cool counterbalance because he's so quiet and reserved. He's but great. at the same time, you know that movie kind of put a spotlight on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got some comments here in the group. We can bounce off here. Uh, Matt said that Stallone gained the weight for Copland. He wondered if he asked De Niro how De Niro gained weight for Raging Bull, and maybe that that was a topic they talked about between takes. Quite possibly. Uh, Stallone's always been pretty good about his body mass and changing things and gaining and losing weight. I, I suspect he probably had fun gaining it, but I, from what I've read in some interviews, he was pretty depressed. Yeah, he didn't like it, and he was pretty anxious to burn it off. In fact, he burned it off before they even did any reshoots. Wasn't there a problem with that or something to do with the reshoots? There's definitely a scene at the end of the movie where I saw him walking and he was in sort of a, a shot from his probably his waist up. And I said, he looks a lot trimmer here. And, you know, I didn't even think about reshoots, Doug. But there are co- definitely a couple of scenes here where he doesn't look like he's carrying that extra weight. I think Weinstein was upset about the reshoot. Yeah, you can't wonder, see Weinstein and not have like a punchline. I, I don't know. I, we'll think of something. We'll think of something. We haven't talked about Anna, we haven't talked about Annabelle Scoria yet. So <laughs> we haven't talked about the movie really. <laughs> the plot of the movie is that there's a bunch of NYPD cops. So this village in New Jersey, this town in New Jersey that that houses all these cops is run by Sheriff Freddie Heflin. But they're all crooked cops. What we come to find out is that the mob back the mortgages on all these these guys houses in turn this precinct in the new york pd is funneling drugs through the precinct into the city for the mob like a whole crooked cop scene this one cop murray babich he ends up shooting two guys on george washington bridge yeah that let's talk about that great sequence that's brutal (laughs) actually i got a question for you doggy you're a police officer right i am (laughs) if you're driving home in your civilian clothes and you're sober so let's just say you're sober and you saw it doesn't matter the skin color. I'm not I'm not trying to be funny here. So if you saw two guys clip your car, they did clip oh, your car. Well, they didn't clip it. They right. damn they side side swap swipe. What it. would you they what would you have done? Them. At that point, Doug, what are you allowed to do as off-duty police officer? And do you just call it in? Just call your buddy and say, Hey, I got this license plate on this guy, I hit my car, and let you guys take care of it. Is that what you do? Or Murray Babich, aka Michael Rappaport, did nothing wrong in this scene except being, being drunk. drunk. Right. Being drunk. That was the only thing. All the other pieces fit. He got sideswiped. He tried to get the car to stop. Right. He showed his badge. He identified himself as a police officer. The guy refused, pointed something out of the window. Yeah. Going at high speed, you can argue you thought that was a firearm. He hears his tire blow out. Yeah. Which he thinks is a shot fired. Up to that point, he is completely justified. Okay, now remind me of the scene, though. The car comes to a stop. He's still going forward. He hits their car. He hits away. Sorry, he, he shoots before he hits the car. By the way, what a what a marksman. Yeah, no, that's uh, he shoots. He's he's leaning out the driver's side of the window with his right arm. So yeah. he's crossing his body, gun out the window. There's no way in hell you're hitting any any type of target. He hit them six no. times. How <laughs> <Yeah. about> <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to suspend this belief on that. Are there even six alone. shots? They had six bullet wounds, is my understanding. I, I, Impossible. So my question, though, Doug, is is he allowed to yeah. shoot a car fleeing? We're told what? never to shoot from or at a moving vehicle. 
wouldn't that be where he gets in trouble? Where he gets in trouble is being drunk. He's probably justified if he's sober. Because okay. he thought he was being shot at. That's yes. the that's the key takeaway, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to bust your chops. I'm actually just trying to figure this out. This is just me playing devil's advocate. And I but the car was moving away from the officer and he tried to pull them over and now it's become a car chase. But instead of chasing the vehicle, he shoots the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And there's no threat of life at that point. So even as a viewer, it's like, oh, he's going to get in trouble just by shooting these guys because they're going to be able to reconstruct the car and the impact and when they were shot. And Another variable is the potential that they can cause harm to other people as well. Sure. We have something called a reasonable officer standard. Like if you believe that your life or somebody else's life is in immediate danger of this perpetrator, then you are allowed to use deadly force. Right. They were just showing their uh, car jack thing because this tire blew out. <laughs> we'll help you. We'll pull over the side and we'll help fix your tire. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, your tire, your, your tire. Hey, we, we have it. We have something to help you with. No good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> these crooked cops try to cover up because he's one of them. So yeah. These crooked cops try to cover up. And it's um, really brazen. I mean, that that kind of shows the level of corruption, right, Doug? Yeah, yeah, right right off the bat because um, – They're doing it in front of the EMTs who smell the bullshit. What oh, I, they smelled it right away. Oh, what I love is I <laughs> got Robert Patrick's character. Hey, look at this. I found, I found an Uzi from the 19, <laughs> 1940. <laughs> Under the mat. <laughs> Whoa, there it is. Well, I don't know why he didn't just – stuff it like right under the seat have another cop come in and look at the car but it's like he literally goes to the car pulls it out of a paper bag goes here it is yeah. you know it was like yeah. i know it's just a film but you could think they could take an extra 10 seconds to have another cop go there and find it well that speaks to the corruption i think and the brazenness of it all yeah, yeah those the emps are already they knew what happened they saw it like the dried blood stuck that wheel lock to the guy's hands like there's yeah. no that's what the guy had in his hands so you're out of his dead hands and you're going to pretend like he had this uzi the mts his reaction is perfect he's like what the fuck are you doing the Superboy, michael rapaport's character he didn't like this at all he, he told him let's do this proper he was actually convinced like doug was saying like i'm drunk i know i'm drunk i've had something to drink and, and so he was on doug's side of the story meaning like He's like, look, they, they pointed a weapon at me. And I, I, you know, I felt my life was in danger. I've got a case. So you don't, you guys don't have to get crooked on me all of a sudden. So he was even going for the angle of don't go crooked on me. And when they pulled out the gun, he realized, and he realized they've planted a weapon. This is, this is escalating. He's like, my badge, yeah. they're going to take away my badge. They're going to, he, that's when he went and goes to the bridge. Now he doesn't jump off the bridge. Where does he go? There, it had to be coordinated with Kaitel, right? With Ray? Mm-hmm. With Ray. Yeah. Like right in the back of his car. Oh my God! He jumped. He jumped. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can we talk about that? Because either Harvey Keitel is a bad actor acting a, as a bad actor, or a good actor acting bad. Because he's saying, "Oh my! He jumped. I where did he go? He befell. He just he was here, and now he's gone." Ah, it's like <laughs> I like Doug's better. Yours kind of sounds like Trump. <laughs> Well, Doug does everything better. He's he's handsome. He's funny. He's articulate. He's a, he's, a, he's a peace officer. That is a good point, though, Ryan. It, it's like it could be, like you said, a good actor pretending to be a bad actor or a bad. I mean, it, it's great because you can't tell where the movie ends and where real life begins. And mm-hmm. either way, it's a brilliant choice on Kaitel's part, right? 
I, I hope so because it was bad acting. <laughs> because I don't understand. Like, was he trying to convince? Was he just doing it? I wonder if he was just doing it to say, "Here's the official byline. He's jumped." Yeah, at that point, I don't think he's really he needs to convince anybody. Like, if anybody's taking notes, this is a statement: is he jumped? It doesn't matter how I say it. It, that's just what it is. He jumped. And I was corrected on Annabelle's name, the actress, Annabelle Ciora. My apologies. Uh, Matt Beeble, correct me on that. Can I just say for the record, every time I see her in a movie, I always say to myself, my goodness, she's gorgeous. And my goodness, I have to see more of her. Not naked, but I mean, just, <laughs> just like more movies of her. And I, I always forget when I watch Copland, I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, I love this actress. She's so good. And she's so captivating on screen she's easy on the eyes and she's a great actress. Anyone else feel the same way about her? The only other thing I really remember her in is, um, hand of rocks, a cradle. Oh yeah. I, I don't like, she was kind of like the mousy wife in that. Like, I, I don't remember her being like a, a sexy. Yeah. I, I don't mean sexy the way you would look at. I don't know. I can't think of it. It's all objective, right? I'm not sure trying to objectify her. Gotta be careful. No, I, I'm just, I'm saying, I mean, she's attractive, but I like her and I like, I like her screen presence. And, it just re- just reminded me to go back and look at more of her library. Yeah. This is a movie full of unlikable people, but was her character as unlikable to you as, as it was to me? Because you kind of see how frustrated Freddie is with where his life went when he intervened and, and saved hers. Remind the listeners of what, what their relationship is. The setup is basically that a young Stallone, and I love when they try and do Stallone as a teenager, We've seen it in a couple different movies, and this guy was a pretty good 17-year-old Stallone, I thought. We get a flashback scene where we see a car come off a bridge while uh, young uh, Freddy's eating lunch. He dives in. Uh, He ends up in the car, and the car underwater has sort of shifted, so it, it limits his escape route in an effort to get through the window they need to get through to save this him and, and this girl he basically smashed the side of his head and his ear against the window in a really effective scene because you almost hear the moment where he loses his hearing but to tie back into it it almost feels like she uses him a little bit or she has used him for the remainder you know leading up to the moments in these in this movie yeah good point every time i see this film there's two parts in this film. The beginning where we see how he loses his hearing because he's smashing his ear against the window. I get stressed out. I don't know. I feel the, the, the visceral. It's a good combination of editing, sound effects from the movie crew, like behind the scenes, and then the actor pounding his ear against that window. It stresses me out about the damage he's doing. Eardrum damage stresses me out. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why, but well, it's no, like- it should. I mean, and anytime you, you screw with somebody's ears or eyes in a movie, most people are going to be uneasy because those are two senses that we all value a lot. <laughs> Doug, what about you? Are you That's, stressed out about losing your I'm hearing? Just, like he's ramming his the side of his head against the window, and I'm just picturing like the pressure of the water like rushing into his ear as he's jamming his head against yeah. the window. Like that, I, it's visceral. Like you said, I can I can almost feel it. I got to take these earbuds out for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the end scene, of course, uh, the crooked cops shoot. The gun next to his good ear, blood's coming out of his ear. I'm just like, I watch like horror flick. Blood doesn't gross me out in almost in a what is almost like a fantasy way. This movie's so realistic in some ways. So when that ear is bleeding from the sound damage, I'm just and he's 
and there's that ringing sound mm-hmm. that you hear as a viewer. And I have my stereo out loud. Yeah. It's this high pitched ringing. You're like, please pass this sequence because it's stressing me out. All the gunshots are like really muffled. It's like you're hearing it through a lot of layers of of soundproof. It's yeah, not like, like you you hear a gunshot like out in the open. It's like the report is is shocking, but with Def Freddy after they blew out his good ear, it's like really like low and muffled. So Doug, do you guys do that to each other's cops? No. Little little pranks. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, it's the new guy. Let's blow off our weapon next year. Oh, you don't do that kind of shenanigans? No. What's your favorite what's your favorite cop bar hangout that you go to? Is it the four aces? No, it's not the four aces. It's not. We we don't have cop bar. See, we don't live. None of our cops live in town. No? Where you guys live in Copland? Where do you live? No, there's no Copland. Like everybody, like we work in town, but everybody lives outside. Like I, I live 40 minutes from work. So which one of your friends is sleeping with your chief's wife? <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> I love that. I love all this. Can we talk about this movie for a second? <laughs> because That's, is that what we're here for? Finally. There's so many. <laughs> there are so many storylines. This is like season one of, 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 of some series in a two hour episode. There's mm-hmm. like storylines and backstories and. A dead but, cop that we never see alive. And it's like, this would have made a great 10-part series. It, it yeah. would have. But at the same time, it, it kind of showcases, you know, the great editing of this movie. And either editing from a writing standpoint or actual, you know, editing after they were done filming. But you get just enough information to know what you need to know. It, there's no excess fat. Somebody's cheating on somebody else. The fact that you get just enough detail to fill in the blanks that you need to fill in to understand the story. And I, and I think that's a really sort of undervalued tool in filmmaking nowadays. And this is actually, we talk about James Mangold. He was the writer, director of this movie. Uh, kudos to him. He was quite young. I think he was probably late 20s at the very, uh, you know, at the very latest. So this is quite an ambitious project. I think it could have done with less, a little bit less, maybe a little bit less of the, you know, buddy sleep with buddy's wife type things. There's so many side stories going on. When I watched this with my 20 year old son, he, this is his first time seeing it. So he saw it uh, about the age that I saw it for the first time. He had a harder time following it too, because he didn't know any of these actors. He hasn't really seen any, any of these actors other than Stallone. He doesn't, he doesn't even know De Niro. He doesn't. So he's just getting kind of getting into these movies now. So for me as knowing who everyone is, it was kind of easier for me to, to separate the faces to him, they just look like a bunch of mustache cops. But to me, mm-hmm. but to me, I actually knew Robert Patrick from Ray Liotta, from uh, Peter Berg, from so I knew all the different the differences. So there's it's a busy movie, is what I'm saying. So a first time viewer, it's kind of a busy movie, especially if you don't know who these actors are. I don't think anything's wasted. It's very short. It's very kind of off reference. Peter Berg's character, Joey Randone, who's married to the girl who Freddie saved in the river. So his character is sleeping with. Ray Donlin's wife, Ray Donlin is Harvey Keitel's character. Mm-hmm. Talk so, about a downgrade. Yeah, no kidding. Did no you kidding. see Kathy Moriarty in Raging Bull though, man? <laughs> you guys are going to you guys aren't going to believe this. You've never seen Raging Bull. That's true. <laughs> I was hoping that I wouldn't have to say it, but you said, "Do you remember her in that movie 
I didn't want to lie. Oh, yeah, she was fantastic. She was gorgeous, simply gorgeous. <laughs> it's on my DVR right now as we speak because I intend on watching it and actually reviewing it for my show because I think it'd be interesting to see this movie that everyone compares to Rocky. I already know Rocky's a better film, but I want to see what the I want to see what the arguments are because I know and I love Scorsese and I love De Niro, but it's just one of those movies that came out when I was five years old. I just haven't seen it. Since we're confessing, I'm going to confess that I've actually never seen Higher Learning. <laughs> <laughs> that was. I don't think it's quite the same level as Raging Bull, but we'll allow it. <laughs> well, it's a callback to like an hour ago. <laughs> well, I, I felt since we were all being honest at this point that I would uh, confess. What's a movie, Doug, that you're – Higher Learning doesn't count. That's a terrible example. What's a movie that you think everyone thinks you've seen but you haven't seen? Uh, Rocky. Never seen Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> that, would ex- that would explain your, your that would explain your poor podcast <laughs> last year covering Rocky. <laughs> you know, um, Caddyshack is one that, that every time I say I've never seen Caddyshack, everybody's like, what? I don't know why. I still don't put them the same level as a raging. I know. I hear you. What about you, Craig? What's one that you really have? The higher learning doesn't count. Because <laughs> I think about 10 people might know what that is. You know what? I don't want to sound like an elitist snob here. I've never actually seen Evil Dead 2. <laughs> what are these examples? Oh, my goodness. Evil Dead 2. <laughs> you snob. Right. Yeah, well, it's great. It's basically Evil Dead <laughs> Part one, done again. <laughs> right? That's what I've heard. And it's true. All right. <coughs> You're not missing much, but Bruce Campbell, his hand attacks him. He has a fight so, with his hand. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Beginning and the end. I want to go back to the Joey Randone thing. The, <laughs> the plot of him sleeping with Ray's wife isn't wasted because when Ray decides that they're going to waste Murray because they, they have nothing else to do with him. Because right. they have to produce a body, yeah. So the so the politicians will get off their ass. Joey Randone doesn't agree with that. He, he's I'm not going to help you. So what happens is he's working, he's in trouble. Ray Donlin turns his back, and Joey ends up dying. Right? Yeah. So the the question is, does he let Joey die because he's not going to help them kill Murray, or because he's sleeping with his wife? It seems like Harvey uh, Ray Harvey Keitel's character didn't seem that concerned about him making love to his wife. I agree. I agree, Ryan. It seemed completely driven by the fact that he knew he wasn't on board taking out Murray. All I know <laughs> is that Harvey Keitel loves to watch people jump off bridges and buildings. That's <laughs> <laughs> Wherever he He's down there somewhere. Oh, look, God, he look fell. At the blood. Look at the blood. <laughs> See, he's dead. He's he's right there. He's dead. He's right there. Oh my god! <laughs> Go to lunch, everyone. He jumped. Go to lunch. You're mixing. You're mixing your impressions. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Go to lunch. You gotta separate them. <laughs> There's one scene in this movie that I thought was really, really good. One that I I don't think people talk about very often. But when Ray Liotta is talking to Heflin in the bar. Before he goes to Ray, says, don't shut me out, Ray. I guess he's referring to the fact that Ray Liotta helped cover up a previous. Ray Liotta's character has been around since the beginning. And I guess he didn't know about the Superboy shenanigans. He was unaware of this, which I found interesting. Did it explain why he was being shut out? I think it had to do with Glenn Tunney thing. Glenn Tunney was was uh, Figzy's former partner. They refer to this guy, Tunney, a lot. 
yeah. I mean, yeah, but that was a murder. That was a murder that Ray was talking about. Well, uh, sort of I, like Ray Leonard Figs was talking about saying, like, I, I helped you cover up this murder of this cop, and now you're shutting me out of the Superboy shenanigans, pushing me out of the community, I think. Am I wrong about that? You're not wrong about it. They they weren't pushing him out. They just they weren't letting him inside anymore because of his relationship with this Tunny guy. This Tunny guy was arrested. They called him the chokehold cop. He used a chokehold, obviously killed somebody, and he got indicted for that. This Glenn Tunney, this guy that we never really see, was Gary Figgis's partner. And then Ray Donlin turned his back on Glenn Tunney, and Tunney was going to rat on Ray and like the whole this whole connection with the mob. So what they did was Ray had Tunney killed while he was in jail awaiting trial. Okay. So Figgis, Gary Figgis, he kind of started distancing himself because of that. Because Tony was his buddy, Tony was his partner. Okay, well, that's good. That's good explanation. I didn't. Thank you. I don't see. That's what I mean. This movie requires a little bit more viewing. I, I there's so much storyline, and I'm just not as smart as Doug. See, Doug, it's his job to be observant of all the details because he has to pick up all the crime scene stuff, and so he's following this plot like it's. Well, this was based on a true story. I think it was one of your. Uh, oh, it was. <laughs> I just. I really love this. I genuinely love this movie. No, that's good. That's good. So there's a scene right before, though, when Figgis is talking to Heflin, Stallone's character, and he's saying, aren't you jealous? Aren't you jealous of these guys? Sheriff Heflin's like, "Uh, I'm not jealous. I'm happy with who I am. You can see that he's not jealous, but he's sad. He's sad that his life is where it is. He sacrificed his hearing, which affected him being a a police officer, which we figure he probably would have been a good one, an honorable one. He calls Stallone's character out. He goes, no, you've lost your hearing. You lost the girl. uh, You lost your dream job. You should be jealous. How's that make you feel, Freddy? I don't care. Yeah. Like eating donuts? Look, Freddy, I say it's okay to be jealous. You saved this girl's life, right? From it, from risking yourself, from saving her sorry ass, you go deaf as a result. In one ear. In one ear. Then you have to watch as this girl you saved, this, this beauty queen, marries this sucker. And you with your ear, you can't even get a desk on the force. You're f- Be jealous, Freddy. Let it out. I would. Purge. Cleanse yourself. Cleansing. Raylio's character is not wrong. It's, maybe in life it's okay. Not to be jealous isn't the right word, but sometimes life sucks. Sometimes it does deal you a bad hand. And it's okay to say, you know what? I've been dealt a bad hand, and maybe that can help you heal, get over it. Because I think Heflin, he has that shuffle and that and that walk that he does throughout the movie where it almost represents just like Eeyore type from, you know, Winnie the Pooh Eeyore. You know, it's, oh, woe was me. And, he, and it's not till later in the movie that he snaps out of it. That he becomes a potential. I don't like that scene because it's like complete just exposition for the audience when he's like. Maybe that's why I liked it. Thinks he lays everything out. Like you saved her life. You go deaf as a result. You watch it. She marries this sucker and you can't get a desk on a force. There you go, everybody. That's all. That's the background on on. Uh, hey, Freddie. I Hatton. just told you. I like. I need that kind of exposition, man. Like, like, <laughs> I got lost in the shuffle. This is a repeat viewing movie for me. I need to watch it again. I appreciated that little <laughs> send off. So yeah, that's where we are. In the film. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. but, but Doug's got a point. You know, those are conversations that only happen in the movies. Yeah. Of course, like sure. Freddie sure. knows, Freddy knows what happened. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need Gary Figgis to tell him. Don't shut me out, Doug. Don't shut me out, Ray. <laughs> but, I, I mean, not to circle back to how great Ray Liotta is in this movie, but I think you just hit on the point of 
what a great character Figus is too. The scene at towards the end when he uh, he references Freddy taking them head on, and he explains to Freddy how you need to approach guys like this. What you've got to make right turns and you've got to what move diagonally. Yeah, you um, don't go down Broadway to get to Broadway. He's bleeding, and you got to get there. But there's lights, right? All over the city, red lights. You go through the red lights. Sure, you fire up the roof, you wail, you go through the red lights, but that's slow. Freddy fighting your way through traffic. The goal is perpetual motion. You want greens. But how do you ensure the greens? You can't. As in life, in traffic. So what you do is you leave yourself an out. At every corner, you leave yourself an alternative. Diagonal. You turn the wheel when you hit a red light. But you don't drive down Broadway to get to Broadway. If you move diagonal, you're gonna get perpetual motion. That's what you want. But how does this apply to what you were saying? Inside? It applies, Freddy! It's just as easy to tell a man walking in front of him. Now you butt heads with these friends of ours, you're gonna come at them head on? Okay. They got lives, Freddy. Families. No. You move diagonal. You jag. That's uh, one of the great, great sort of, you know, speeches in this movie. And uh, I think that that is another aspect of the character that makes that performance work so well. He's a guy that's very aware. He might not have always made the right taking the right steps in his life, but he knows how everything pieces together. He knows the steps you're supposed to take, even if he didn't take them himself. Like that guy's a good cop. Yeah. He's a good cop, but he lost his way somewhere. Good point. Yeah. He lost his way. He got his $200,000 for lighting his house on fire. Process. It was only 198,000. He rounded up. <laughs> <laughs> we can round up. Imagine if he told uh, Sheriff Heflin, he's like, you know, I've got $198,565 in my bank right now. <laughs> Maybe 198000 is two hundred in Canadian money. Maybe that's why, uh, yeah. Ryan, thanks. There you go. Then we have that d- domestic dispute with Peter Berg's character and Annabelle Scora, oh, whatever her name is. Jesus. So, Doug, talk to us about domestic disputes. What would you do in this situation right now? Uh, the husband's sitting on the, sitting on the step. The wife has locked the door, but then she opens the door and he busts it down. Do you go after him? Well, the problem is he's showing signs of violence, meaning like as a victim, he's bleeding from the head, right? So at this point, you're thinking he might be the victim. Then he kicks the door in. You're like, all right, maybe she bashed him in self-defense, but then she goes at him with a bottle. In that case, you kind of got to take her in. You have to offer him the opportunity to apply for an emergency restraining order against his wife. This is a scene where uh, Heflin offers her, hey, do you want to come to my house and sleep on my bed? I mean, come yeah. to my house. <laughs> well, he said to put her up at a hotel. I'm just joking. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned before about like some unnecessary scenes. And I think the Liz Randone and, and Freddie stuff, like where they almost kiss and we can do without that. We can do without her scenes? Not her completely, but like when later on when she goes to Freddie's house. and And that's kind of what I was getting to before with she comes out of this movie as a pretty unlikable character because it really feels like she uses freddy when she needs him and in that scene where she goes to the house she needed a boost 
Yeah. So she used Freddie to get that boost. Was Joey even dead at that point? I don't think so, right? No. No, no he wasn't. If, no, if yeah. he had been, it would have been a terrible, terrible scene. Yeah, that's true. True. Yeah. Yeah. She, true. They did that weird, like, kiss. Uh, he kind of put his cheek or whatever. Well, yeah, that's the thing. The way it's, it's framed, like, you can't even tell. Well, they kiss a little bit, and then she just goes, this is crazy. And then she walks out. Like, all right. Did he have the cleanest Springsteen vinyl known to man? There wasn't one pop no. or in that soundtrack. And she references he's playing an album. I love how they played Springsteen, though. It's pretty good. Imagine if they filmed this in Canada. They would have put it on Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Neil Young. Oh, God, no. I wish I had the time and the talent to do a, a music replacement for those scenes <laughs> here in Copland. <laughs> I just wish I had some sort of talent. We might get some watchers or listeners. I, I'm bringing you guys down. I apologize. <laughs> are you kidding me? So I've got some comments here. We'll just speak to them real quick because these guys are chiming in. Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, wait, I just want to address Matt. That that was Craig's dog biting Craig under the table, not me. Listeners want to know, are you outside? Yeah, I'm on my back deck. It's a beautiful night here in New Jersey. Wow. I'm enjoying, yeah, I'm enjoying nice fall weather. Must be nice living in Copland. <laughs> <laughs> the streets are safe. You know, you don't have to worry about any black people <laughs> playing baseball. <laughs> There's no black people in Copland, and they filmed the scene to show you why. They didn't even want these people playing their music on their street. They got arrested for playing music. It wasn't Bruce Springsteen. If they had gone down the street, <laughs> in New Jersey, you're you're fine. You play Bruce, you're you're good. Oh my gosh! Have you ever been offered a bribe? No, never. Bruce Springsteen tickets? Nothing. Nope. Nope. Oh man, <laughs> I had an experience here where somebody thought. I was soliciting a bribe. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, you're asking for a bribe? You know, I work in um, an industry where you get a lot of people coming from out of town. I mean, that's Vegas is driven by travelers. <laughs> so I was explaining a fee to somebody. The way I worded it, he kind of got like an old Las Vegas vibe where he thought like this was the payoff he had to give me in order for this thing to happen. And it was pretty funny. The way I worded it made the guy think I was soliciting a payoff. It was wow. pretty funny. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> we got Red Tyler here. He wants us to shout out his girlfriend, Kim Dougal. Hey, Kim. Is that a joke? I'm rolling with it. Red, welcome to the show. There's a pretty interesting scene here, too, where Heflin says to Ray, yeah, Ray and, sorry, I keep seeing Ray Liotta. Figus and, and, yeah, Figus and Heflin. They're like living together now because his house burnt down. Figgis is hanging out at Sheriff Heflin's house. Uh, Sheriff Heflin says, you know, if I saw her today in the river again, drowning, I wouldn't go get her. I wouldn't. I'm not a hero anymore. It's basically what he's saying. Bullshit. Hmm. I didn't take it to mean that, Ryan. And maybe it's because of my, you know, my sort of take on her as a character is it felt to me like he been used. And I think he sort of resented the fact that he was where he was but that he was also not really a, a driver and more of somebody that was being sort of abused and held down i really dig the fact that we have such different interpretations of that of that scene i think he kind of meant it i think he's just saying that he's a coward now he's not he's not who he isn't who he thought he was anymore like he maybe he isn't maybe at the moment he feels like he's just not the hero that everyone thinks he should be that or, does sort of speak to what he ends up doing in the movie so right. it add some credence to that 
What is Doug? Well, Red Tyler's girlfriend thinks Doug is good looking. That's what the big deal is here. No, that's good. Uh, he, he says he went to high school with one of you. He says he went to high school with one of us. It must be you. Is Red, is Red Tyler a troll? He says, my girlfriend says she loves the Dougal. Was your nickname Dougal? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, He's about to do the thang. Well, they're watching our episode, but they're about to make love to each other, I guess, during oh. their... <laughs> that's fine. Hey, whatever we do to help you guys out, we're here for you guys. Um, <laughs> Method Man was in this movie. Did you guys catch that? Yeah, he's the one that yeah. that um, throws Peter Berg off Where the roof, right? What yeah. a funny cast! Yeah. This is a crazy cast. I mean, you got Method Man, you got the guy from King of, from King of Queens, you've got uh, Peter Berg, who's actually a very established director. I mean, he gives James Mangold a run for his money when it comes to movies nowadays. Lone Survivor was directed by Peter Berg. He also did Battleship, which is a badass movie, and I'll fight anybody who says it isn't. All right, I'll commit. I never. <laughs> Uh, that's Doug's big confession. He's never seen oh, Battleship. Yeah. Battlefield and Raging Bull. We keep referencing Robert De Niro, but we I don't think we've ever explained what his role in this movie is. Who's that? To anybody who doesn't already know. Robert De Niro. The cop of cops, right? He's IAD. He's the internal affairs. The internal affairs uh, investigator. He's, as uh, the rest of the cops call him, a rat. Because internal affairs cops, all they do is other cops okay you're a cop right doug have we established this yet throughout this episode <laughs> I, I think so i think it's been well established what is the official word on the street when it comes to ia because they play this in movies all the time that ia and then harvey Keitel's character says you know you know how they become ia they were caught doing something bad and then they they're now ia is there any truth to ia and do cops truly hate them go no, the only cops that have anything against IA are the cops that are doing something wrong in the first place. So Which how do you feel happens? about IA? I don't care about IA because they don't investigate me because <laughs> I told the line. I do what I'm there, supposed to do. There you go. That's all the guys that I know. Like the whole IA thing is just built up in movies. It's not okay. real. It's not real. The hatred is it, yeah, it, it's not real. I appreciate you answering that cuz I think uh, our listeners want to know that. They want to know the truth. I don't think they do. <laughs> they're, t- they're what they do right now. You don't want to know from me. Of course they do. I think Red Tyler's drunk. We're going to ignore him. We love you, brother, but I don't know what the heck you're talking about. He, oh, he's, he just says he does acid. He, he wants you to come arrest him. <laughs> I do acid, cop. What do you think about that? Red Duck's going. He's going. He's leaving. He's, he's found his address. He's Googled this guy. He's off to get him. Oh well, you got bugs no, I'm, on I'm you. I'm off duty. Yeah, you see that a mosquito flying around. Red Tyler. <laughs> Red Tyler. Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is? No idea, but no I love idea. the guy. So. He went to third period with one of us. <laughs> hey, Red Tyler, do you you have anything you want us to plug? <laughs> <laughs> Freddie goes to see. Once he decides that, all right. But for, yeah. before the big scene, he go, oh. he goes back to New York to talk to. Mo Tilden, who's Robert De Niro's character, right? Who had given yeah. him a chance to be a cop. Freddie already admitted that he was blind to what was going on. So he goes to New York to see Mo Tilden and he's like, all right, I'm ready to do this. And <laughs> and Robert De Niro slash Mo Tilden ain't having it. Excuse me, Mo. I apologize. He just I'm sorry for rushing in like this, but you were right. They tried to kill him, like you said, but he got away. Now he's running through the woods. He's like a scared animal. He's scared. You know what death. that motherfucker? Should be scared. His uncle got this case closed with one phone call. Look, I'm sorry it took so long for me to come around. But you were right. 
I couldn't see the truth. Like you said, the evidence, you know, my loyalties, they were confused. They never give you any napkins in this place. What am I supposed to use? You want this? What is this? You came to me, to my town, with all these speeches, and you're talking to me about doing the right thing, and I'm doing the right thing. What's going on? What are you doing? That was like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago? What about Babbage? What about him? F him. What about Donlin? F him too. What about Joey Rendon? He fell off a building. Should we read the papers? Listen, Sheriff, I'm really sorry to have awoken you from your slumber, but it's over. Hands are tied now. You shut me down. No, no, listen to me. You're IA. That's why I came to you. You can do whatever you want. Remember you came to me and said, you want to be a cop? I'm being a listen cop now. I'm here. I'm I offered asking you, you a for chance. some help. I need to do something. Listen to me. I need to do this for listen myself. Listen to me, you I deaf I offered you a chance when we could have done something. I offered you a chance to be a cop, and you blew it. You blew it. That cupcake makes a mess. We got a case again. He's like, well, case is closed. What do you want me to do? He's like, I, you know, I want my, you to my, do the right thing. My hands are tied. My hands are tied. You know, he's got you. He that sandwich. This. My hands are tied. <laughs> well, why doesn't the sandwich place ever give them napkins? Come on. <laughs> Have you ever used Kleenex as a napkin? It does it's, make for a terrible napkin. <laughs> it's the worst. Well, Freddie goes, what about Babbage? She goes, what about him? <laughs> what about <laughs> Donald? <laughs> him too. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Ready? I offered you a chance when we could have done something. I offered you a chance to be a cop, and you blew it! And you blew it! And you blew it! And you blew it! I love it. <laughs> the, 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 great, the great thing about that scene is you see the gears going in De Niro's head, realizing that this is an opportunity to get traction going for his case again. And he knows mm -hmm. that he's going to be able to use Freddy like everybody else has used Freddy, which makes Freddy even more of a, like a tragic character. It's a risky game though, because he's saying, you know, I gave you the chance you blew it. It's over. It's over. So Freddy can very well just walk out of the office and that's that he's gambling on Freddy doing the right thing. God bless all of us. Our pal Stallone steps up. What's the line when he leaves? He says, if that cupcake makes a mess, we've got, yeah, a, case we got a case again. again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was what it was. Okay. I got the one movie in Blu-ray history that has zero features. It doesn't even have a menu. You put the Blu-ray in and it just it starts, starts playing. Plays. There's no menu, no captions, nothing. So if you were a deaf person and bought this Blu-ray, you'd be like, poop out of luck there was times during this movie because i couldn't have it too loud because i had kids running around i was like what did he say there because i'm relying on what they're saying and that was actually one of the things was i was like what did he say when he left there i knew he was referring to if he stirs up trouble we'll get something out of this guy but he said cupcake all right <laughs> freddie goes back and he ends up finding murray he digs a little bit and he finds murray babbage hiding after they try to kill him after uh, ray and his boys try to kill him uh, he finds Murray hiding, hiding out in the water tower, right? Well, good thing they had that above ground pool that they could have attempted to drown him <laughs> in because they would have had to get him into a bathroom, into a bathtub instead, right? Why was it so hard to kill him? Why did they just like he needed to have water in his lungs, right? Oh, yeah, chlorinated water, which I don't know. <laughs> it was rain. It was rainwater. <laughs> the bee's knees starts with Freddie going back to the bar. And right. telling Ray, he goes, I got Superboy. 
I'm yeah. going to turn him in tomorrow. And he's like, why don't you do the right thing? Come with me. We'll all go together. <laughs> Kumbaya. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll cop to your shit and Murray will cop to his and everything will be fine. Right. Right. And then uh, <laughs> Ray gives this, this beautiful, this Harvey Keitel speech. About, and he's great in this film too, by the way. Your plan is the plan of a boy. <laughs> made it on the back of a matchbook without thinking <laughs> without looking at the cards <laughs> Ray's not going he's like sure sure yeah six o'clock tomorrow I'll be there but what happens is Freddie gets ambushed they take Superboy they blow out Freddie's good ear so we hear that constant feedback now bleeding, yeah bleeding from his ear like everything else for the rest of the movie everything's in slow motion it's a very effective scene because we're feeling stressed out as a viewer for his safety. We're feeling the danger that it's around the corner for him. You know, he can't hear anything. He doesn't know where guys are, if they're alive or dead, if they're moving around. He shoots uh, the one guy in the car and then he uh, shoots the T-1000 after that. He's got the best death t- scene in the movie, right? Yeah. The look on his face when he gets shot and falls back, he can't believe that Freddie Heflin's the guy that took his life. That's awesome. Heflin's about to get shot by another guy. Ray Liotta comes out of nowhere. Yeah, the biggest hero moment. Well, he does get shot by that guy. He gets shot like in the back of his shoulder. Yeah. He's ready to, to finish him off. And then the hero, Ray Liotta, comes out of nowhere and blows him away. I love how he's got a smoke in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right after he kills that guy, he sees Ray in like the picture window of his house. He like gives him the death stare before he brings his gun on, blows out the front window. Great stuff. So that window just goes. Then Ray goes up there to finish him off. And it's always a weird scene. It must be what first thing in the morning because his wife's still lying in bed. Yeah. And uh, Superboy's about to jump out another window. Boy, he what, jumps off bridges, jumps out of houses. What's. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's either die by Ray's hand or die by jumping out of a second floor window. And he was handcuffed too, wasn't he? I don't think at that point. No. He, um, he, he had a handcuff on. He must have been sleeping with his wife too. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> maybe Harvey Keitel, maybe he was a cuckold. <laughs> uh. <laughs> he liked to watch all of his cop friends make love to his wife. <laughs> That's the whole story. He came. He came. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what I love about this, though? When Ray comes, he sneaks in behind Freddy, and then Figs shoots at Ray. Which, just a little... <laughs> Craig, you're right over there. <laughs> <laughs> just a... Oh, uh, should be called Like the muff... The- <laughs> <laughs> That's what the thing is. They're all cuckolders. <laughs> <coughs> and he- and Heflin was never invited to the party. He never got to put his keys in the bowl. <laughs> no, because he doesn't have a partner to swap. That's right. <laughs> <sighs> And see, that's true. So once Ray, Ray Liotta's girl died, he had to leave town because he had no one to swap with. Oh, there you go. Yep. Freddie ends up shooting Ray. Right. And Ray, as he falls, he's dying on top of his NYPD uniform. Did you notice uh, that? Very poetic. Right on top of it. You see the NYPD patch right by his head. And he's saying a lot of stuff that probably isn't appropriate for this podcast because – if you can read lips, uh, he's saying much profanity, right? He's actually saying, Fred, you were next. You were next in line with my wife. You just had to wait. <laughs> <laughs> and then Freddie's got that great line where he says, I can't hear you, Ray. Oh, that's, yeah, that's great. Uh, and then, of course, he brings him in. Ray Liotta looking just 
looking horrible. Sloane's character is covered in blood, and he still looks better than Ray Liotta. <laughs> <laughs> he looks horrible in this movie. And I don't know. Was it? Did, was it the makeup people applying makeup or not giving him any makeup? I'm not sure. <laughs> no, he's, I think Leota himself was on a three-day coke bender. I know. Throughout, throughout the whole filming. It's seven years after Goodfellas. He hasn't recovered from his method acting. Yeah. If, if, you, if, if you haven't listened to it yet, he was on Mark Maron's podcast within the last couple months. Great episode. A lot of insight in, into Ray Liotta and what and what made him the uh, the actor he is today. Cool. In fact, speaking of Michael Rappaport, he has a podcast, and uh, Robert Patrick was on it recently as well. And I couldn't find him. I'm going to look for it again. And they talk specifically about Copland throughout that episode. So all of our five hmm. listeners, when you're done with this one, go find that one. You'll probably it'll probably be better. But watch ours first. How do you rate this in the canon of films? I think it's hey, one of his best. Okay, take away Rocky and Rambo. Is there a better film that he's done? I would say no. I love this film. There are certain people I that really might argue Nighthawks could give this movie a run for its money in terms of what Sly delivers. But I think if you take Rocky and Rambo out of the equation, it's really hard not to have Copland sit right at the top. And then right underneath it, Ants and Spy Kids 3D game over. <laughs> <laughs> top three. I, I don't know which order I put them in right now. Non-Rocky Rambo. You're looking at top three for me or not in this order, but Cliffhanger. Lockup and Copland. And I really want to talk about Lockup. I don't know which one we're going to talk about next. Maybe I'll throw Lockup in the mix for my vote. I knew Copland was going to win. But for the record, how dare you? Who who was it that put in Copland again? Mr. Doug. Okay, Doug. <laughs> I put in, what did I put in? Assassins. You put in Get Carter there, Craig. That was the vein I was going for. Doug's like, I'm going to put in his best movie ever. Well, of course, people are going to vote for that. <laughs> well, we, you we, didn't we, put any parameters on it. We can't do lockup next because we can't do two Stallone movies that take place in New Jersey back to back. Oh, okay. That's true. I'll, I'll think of another one. I might put Assassins back in the mix. Maybe for our tens and tens of listeners, let's, let's get Assassins going. Let's just close up the show. Uh, I'll just remind everyone I'm Ryan, and you want to listen to me on my other podcast. It's all about the Rocky series. It's called Going the Distance, the Rocky series podcast. If you want to listen to me there, check me out. I always love these guys. And the reason why we're doing this is because I think we just like each other. I think we get along on the podcast world. And I think it's fun just to connect. I'm Doug. Uh, I'm a co-host of Rocky Minute. We're similar to Ryan, but we take a different approach. We break down the Rocky Minutes one minute of movie time at a time for each episode. Our first season where we covered the movie Rocky was 118 individual episodes. Awesome. DuelingGenre.com is where we uh, release our episodes there. Right on. And I'm Craig from the Slycast. We may not put out episodes with as much frequency as Ryan and Doug. They're just um, better. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there is, what, I think 25 episodes now, including uh, our crossover episode, with, which was the first episode of this podcast where we cover the specialist. But uh, Slycast, we examined S Sylvester Stallone's career from his very early days in sequential order up until you know, his present day work. Our next episode, whenever that is, we'll be covering the classic Judge Dredd. Hey. Oh, Judge Dredd. Yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's excited. I'd love to hear your discussion on that. Maybe down the road when enough time has passed, we can cover that as a trio ourselves because that'd be a fun one to talk with you guys as well. Uh, Fun's one word. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thanks, guys. As always, it's, it's an awesome pleasure to talk with you guys. And I hope our listeners enjoy it as much as we did doing it. And I want to apologize for the confusion. Next time we do this in October, we're trying to do this once a month. I will make sure that it goes through the proper Sylvester Stallone podcast network. I should have said that for our listeners. The channel on YouTube is called the Sylvester Stallone podcast network. It's pretty cool. If you actually just punch in Stallone podcast, we're like third already down the list. So it works out really nicely. So come like us on there. So subscribe there. Like us on there. Yeah. That way you can you will never miss uh, once, a once a month episode regarding this trio of us. Actually, little do you know that um, for the past hour and 45 minutes, people have been staring at that screen waiting for us to go live. I know. Thousands of people. Thousands. <laughs> Thousands. Yeah, I, I didn't verify the account on time. It's a new account, and I panicked. So that's why we're going through this channel. But it'll, it'll be all ready to go next time. All right, guys. <laughs> Love it. You blew it. <laughs>